0: message comes to us from the book of John chapter 16. It reads like this. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. I still have so many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Hallelujah. This is the blessed word of our Lord.
1: And all God's people say, Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Thank you, Jesus, that you, that you came and you took our death, and you took our sin, and you took our shame on yourself. And, and we're alive to tell the story of how we've overcome. It's your goodness and mercy and the power of your blood. And Lord, our freedom in which we stand, in which we live, through which we serve, from which we Uh, uh, move and live and is not based on one single thing we've done. It's your goodness. It's your mercy. It's the power of your blood. We are not ashamed in 2021 to declare that we are who we are, Jesus, because you did what you did. We are not ashamed of a bleeding Savior hanging on a cross for us what can wash away our sins nothing but your blood thank you Jesus I so hope that just for a moment in heaven this morning you leaned over the balcony of heaven and you heard our voices as weak as they may be and as faulty as we may be then you knew for just a few moments that this was and is for you dear Jesus I hope that you just know that we have gathered in this place and you are our audience of one. You are the one to whom we sing. You are the one whom we worship. You are the one we adore. You are the one for whom we live, Jesus. It is you. It is you. And we praise you in this place this morning we lift our hearts, we lift our hands, we lift our voices, we lift ourselves up to you. And Jesus, we long for that day when you will split open the eastern skies and come and get us. And we long when we're gathered with people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And we stand and maybe we'll sing a song like that. And maybe that massive choir, Jesus, will look at you you're seated, and I'm convinced still with some some scars that are mine and and all of ours, and we will one day sing to you. What a day that will be! We long, Jesus, to see you. We long to sing to face to face we long to have this removed that is between you and us but until then we will sing even though through a glass dimly and we will praise even though with faulty lips Uh, thank you that you graciously receive our praise we love you and all God's people say amen you may be seated thank you thank this team would you for their great work leading us to the Lord uh, it, it is, uh, I'll try to preach at this point, I'm just so overwhelmed and, and uh, grateful uh, for God's grace, grateful for His grace. This passage that Steve has so wonderfully read lands us into this treatment by Jesus of the Holy Spirit, and so uh, perhaps it has not occurred to you that, Before anything or anyone existed, God did. And he was God the Father, he existed as God the Son, and he existed as God the Spirit. And as such, completely and perfectly at peace with one another, never a discontent, never a disconnect. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit all together. So when Jesus speaks of the Spirit, we should lean in, shouldn't we? When Jesus speaks of the Spirit, he has something to say. And this sermon, uh, the points, if you will, build on one another. Uh, They go simply like this. Because Jesus went to the Father, because Jesus went to the Father, the Holy Spirit convicts the world, and, and the Holy Spirit guides believers. All right, so if you walk away with nothing else, or if you're taking notes, you'll see that again, but that is the thrust, I'm convinced, of of Jesus' words here. Because Jesus went to the Father, the Holy Spirit convicts the world, and the Holy Spirit guides believers. You see, watching uh, uh, online and sitting in this room are two groups of people. Uh, believers that means you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus you have you have uh, a proverbial put all of your eggs in his basket you believe he is the son of God who died for you and then there is the world everyone else those who do not believe, and, and whether I don't say this to offend you, it is my reality before I came to Christ, you are under, under the sway and the power as part of the world of the enemy. And so what we discover here is Jesus, verse 5 says, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks Where are you going? Well, the difficulty with that statement is this that it appears that Thomas wanted to know, and he's in the group of 11 to whom Jesus is talking. And it also is obvious that Peter at one point asked where he was going. So, why does Jesus look at Peter and the others and say, None of you asks, Where am I going? Well, I think it's this, and I'll give you, I think it's better illustrated and then explained. So when Hannah, our oldest child, was in elementary school, we had an every Friday morning deal. I took her to Hardy's in Old Fort. We ate a biscuit and practiced spelling words. We did it every Friday morning. That was mine and Hannah's deal. And so we would do it. She would take her test, you know, and report back when I picked her up from school. Friday, Saturday's my day off. Uh, so then, uh, Trent, when he was in elementary school, Hannah's in high school. She's driving to school. I'm taking Trent to school. And every Friday morning, we did the same go to Hardy's, practice spelling words, and I would take him to school. But there would be an occasional Friday where I couldn't keep my appointment right? Something would come up. Maybe somebody's having a surgery somewhere, or I've got to go here or I got to go there. So I would have to, on a Thursday evening, say to them, listen, tomorrow we don't get to go to Hardee's. And inevitably, their face would droop, and they would look, and they would say, but dad, where are you going? Did they care where I was going? No. No, their question, they cared little about where I was going. You know what their question meant? Dad, why aren't you staying with me? That's what their question meant. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at. Peter had asked where he was going. Did Peter care? No, Peter cared that he wasn't going to be with him anymore. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, verse 6, But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. And then again in verse 7, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so here comes then If you're a serious student of Scripture, another kind of nagging question, well, Jesus, why couldn't you stay and the Holy Spirit do his work? Could you not work together in this whole thing? Could could you not? Well, there is a piece of it where they could not. Well, then that ought to cause you to ask, if they have been together all through everything. Where is Jesus going that even the Holy Spirit will not experience what he is about to experience to the degree to which he will? <clears throat> and the answer is the cross. Jesus is going to die on the cross. You see, going to the Father for him means he will pass the cross. It means he will be crucified. It also means that he will descend into uh, the regions below the earth and announce who he is to uh, the spirits in prison, those demons. He will go down and he will uh, declare who he is to the unrighteous dead. And then he will find Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of them, and he will declare who he is. You see, they don't want to lose him now, but they don't realize they'll get to spend eternity with him. For example, let's say that one of those Friday mornings, I uh, look at Hannah or I look at Trent and say this, sorry, can't keep my appointment today. And they, uh, they, they, they just droop. And they say, but dad, where are you going? And I say, well, I'm going to Spartanburg. Spartanburg, what is that? Oh, what is Spartanburg? They're, well, you know, but that's all I tell them. But when I go pick them up from school, it, it just seems that in Spartanburg, I found the most amazing outdoor gym swing set, play set ever, right? It is amazing. And they pull into the backyard, and there it is. At that point, would they prefer a sausage biscuit? Or the play set? We know the answer, don't we? This is exactly what Jesus is saying. I'm going to the Father. You don't get it, but it is so for your good. It is so good for you. So because I'm going to the Father, the Holy Spirit then convicts the world. Verse 8, and when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness judgment. What does the word convict mean? It means to expose. He will expose sin as sin. He will expose unrighteousness as unrighteousness. The Holy Spirit's job for those of you who do not know Christ is to expose that to lay the cover, to pull it off, to reveal to you your own heart. You see, as much as I want you to come to faith in Jesus, as much as I want your life to change, as much as I want you to follow Jesus, I cannot do one thing to convict you. No, I can put you on a pretty good guilt trip, right? I can say some things to you to make you feel really bad about yourself or really bad about some things you've done, but I can do nothing to convict you. I'm not the Spirit. I'm not God. I'm not Jesus. It is not my job to convict you of your sin. It is my job to be used by God so that the Holy Spirit does the convicting work. Here is an example. But Saul, Acts 9, <clears throat> still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you're to do. Well, the men who were with him stood speechless hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. It's a fitting time for me to drink water. It was right on cue, Tony. All right, so for three days Paul could not see, and he... He did not eat, nor did he drink. Why? Because Saul, who was of the world, was convicted by the Spirit that though he thought he was doing the work of God, it indeed was the work of Satan. He was ultimately deceived. You see, there are uh, different kinds of people before Christ, aren't there? There are some of you, and you look at your life before Christ, and it embarrasses you. You, you are shaking your heads, even as I say that. You, you have regrets. You sinned awfully. You did terrible things that you don't want anybody to know about. Others of you, your life before Christ was pretty upstanding. You were a good moral person. Uh, Do you know what I've discovered through the years? First person, pretty easy to share the gospel with. Second person, not so much. Why? He or she thinks, I'm a pretty good guy. I've not done A, B, or C. I'm pretty righteous. Uh, I've, I've done a lot of good things. Uh, so what, what will happen with Saul? Look at this. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Ananias got voluntold, didn't he? Oh, yeah? I mean, uh, Saul's already seen it, Ananias. I- I'm just telling you to go. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. That's how the Holy Spirit works. He convicts the world of sin. If you have ever come to Christ, it's been as sung about, if you have ever come to Christ, it is because the Spirit did that work. On Friday night, we were at Trent's graduation, and I got a phone call, which I couldn't take because we were at his graduation. It was a voicemail that was left of a man by the name of Paul. Paul and I graduated high school together, and four years ago, he reached out to me, and he said, Jerry, I, I need to come and see you. And I said, okay, and he came in, and we sat down, and we began to talk, and then I met with him and his wife, and, and they're fine for me to share, and I began to counsel them. Paul drank a lot, and Paul didn't know Jesus. And so we met week after week, and though my uh, material I worked through is clearly Christ-centered, Uh, uh, marriage counseling stuff week after week I met with Paul and his wife and week after week he would do the homework and week after week he didn't know Christ but that day he came in and and realized that alcohol was wrecking his life he put it down he went home he cleaned it all out of his house And he was calling to tell me that he's not had a drop in four years. Four years. So we continued to meet. We went through the entire curriculum, the entire regimen of counseling, and we're done. And, And Paul doesn't know the Lord, nor does his wife. They never came to Christ in my office, but they would attend another church And one morning at that church, the Holy Spirit would reach deep into Paul's heart and draw him to himself. And I would receive a phone call that very day. He calls me, Jerry. And he said, Jerry, I just want you to know this morning that God saved me. Well, I would receive a phone call a few weeks later on a Sunday, would you come to the creek? My wife and I are being baptized, and I go watch him and his wife be baptized. Now, Paul's dad and mom lived just two houses down from me, and <clears throat> I had gone to share Christ with Frank on more than one occasion, to no avail. And... Uh, I would receive a call maybe six months later from Paul and he said, "Uh, Jerry, I just called to tell you that yesterday my dad went to church with me and God saved him too. In his 70s, he came to faith in Jesus. You know what I love about that? My role in that, I'm not quite sure of. But I am quite certain that the reason Paul came to Jesus is because the Holy Spirit reached deep, deep into his heart, didn't he? And he drew him. And the Holy Spirit reached deep into his wife's heart and deep into his dad's heart. That's what I'm convinced of. The Holy Spirit exists to convict the world. Concerning three things. One concerning sin Because they do not believe in me, the ultimate sin is unbelief. Number two, concerning righteousness. Why? Because the world has its own self-righteous standards, doesn't it? They shift. Right now, we're in a major cultural move and shift, and there's a lot of self-righteousness that's going with it, isn't there? Right? We live in a cancel culture, and there's a certain standard, and if you don't meet it, you're canceled. Right. So what does that mean? It's a self-righteousness that is in the world. The world always has its own manufactured righteousness. Always has, always will. And so the Spirit convicts the world of its own self-righteousness and you individually of yours. As a matter of fact, and I don't say this to demean you at all, but, but it's God's word. Isaiah 64, 6 says, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like the old King James says, filthy racks, a polluted garment. And finally, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged, on the cross, Jesus crushed, as Genesis 3.15 said he would, Satan's head. Oh, Satan bit him on the hill, as Genesis 3.15 said, but Jesus crushed his head, and he sealed Satan's fate. Satan may be having his day, but he will never, ever have his way. Amen? He may be having his day. He may be reigning in this world, but one day Jesus Christ will return. He will reign forever. Satan's reign is for now. Jesus' reign is forever. Satan's reign is temporary. Jesus' reign is eternal. Satan's reign is into the systems of the world, but Jesus reigns in your heart now, and he will reign over all one day. Amen. We serve a risen Savior. I could clear off a place and preach this morning because Jesus is alive and well. Aren't you glad? Yes. Because Jesus went to the Father, third, the Holy Spirit God's believers. Jesus looks at them and says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You cannot bear them now. So when I see that, I go, oh, Jesus, what what did you want to say, but you couldn't? And when did you say it? And I've landed on where I think it is, and other scholars will have other things, I'm sure, because if you read through, you, you realize that it, he says the spirit of truth will guide you into all the truth and talk about the things that are to come. And some people read this and immediately go to things like the book of Revelation or uh, a prophecy in its big form, but I don't land there. I I land uh, on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has died, and Peter denied. Peter, by record, as far as we know, was the only disciple to show up at the trial. Perhaps others did. They just didn't write about it. And, and a, a, a girl, a, a servant girl, noticed him and could pick up on his dialect that he, he was a Galilean, and she assumed that he was with Jesus. And she asked him, and he lied and said he wasn't. She circled back, and he denied again. And she came back a third time, and he denied again. And when he did, Jesus turned, and they locked eyes. And I think the tears were flowing. The rooster crowed, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. Jesus died, Peter denied, Peter came to see the tomb, but then he went and dug out his boat again, didn't he, and grabbed his nets and headed out to fish. Jesus found him fishing, and once again, Peter uh, hadn't caught anything, and Jesus helped him catch some fish, and they made it to shore, and they had breakfast. As a matter of fact, John writes this gospel. Most scholars think after Peter is dead. But he writes about him in John 21 and says, When they have finished breakfast, I just love that one line. the crucified, risen Lord, having breakfast. I like that, don't you? I like that. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And all kinds of things could be made about these. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. There are a few things that strike me about this post-resurrection conversation. One is that Peter or Jesus looks at his number one denier and calls him to be his number one declarer. And Peter becomes that, doesn't he? He preaches the first sermon. In the early church. But the other thing that strikes me is the little possessive pronoun, my, feed my sheep. Any shepherd will not hand his sheep off just to any old other shepherd. Here, Peter, my sheep are yours. And then here's what Jesus said to Peter that Peter in no way could have handled pre-crucifixion. Listen, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. Parenthetically, John writes, This he said to show by what kind of death he, Peter, was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter looked at Jesus who had denied him and told him, you will, you'll preach, you'll feed my sheep. And then, Peter, you'll die. He didn't bat an eye, did he, Peter? Say, Jerry, what does this mean for me? What does it mean for me? One big thing is that God has many things to say to you. But some of them you can't bear right now. So what do you do? Hear what he has to say today and walk in that. Do today, today. That's what you do. And God, by His grace, Will tomorrow tell you tomorrow what you need to hear. And when you're ready to hear more, He will tell you more. Well, what's our problem? I, I, I'm looking around the room and I love you but I see the problem. You say, Jerry, what do you mean? A room full of type A driven people? And you want God to do one of two things. Fly a plane over with one of those messages, those annoying things at the beach. And it tell you everything. Or you want God to somehow send you an email with the plan mapped out for, for the next three to five years of your life. So that you can walk in it. You, you, you think you want that, but, but could I say something to you? God in His grace, will tell you today, enough for today, won't He? And and tomorrow, then. And could it be that thinking so far down that way, we might miss today? <clears throat> so I'll close with this. Would you bow your heads for a moment? There may be someone in the room. <clears throat> this morning, and during times like this, I know you know we're on camera, but the camera comes way in close to me and does not catch anybody in this room. There may be someone in the room, or you may be online this morning, and the thing God is saying to you today is trust me as your Savior. that may be his word to you today will you trust me as your savior if that is you this morning if this morning you hear the spirit you sense the spirit working if that is you this morning and you say Jerry, I don't want to leave this place today without giving my life to Him. I want to pray for you. Would you just slip up your hand wherever you may be so that I can pray for you this morning. Jerry, today, I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. Today, I'm placing my trust in in Him. Lord Jesus, you know our hearts. Holy Spirit, convict us. Those who are not yet yours, draw them in. And Holy Spirit, those who are yours, guide. And where you guide, May we walk with you. In your name we pray. Amen.